0: Two women left their jobs, sold their homes, moved in with their parents and worked for four years to make a film about rhino poaching. And the documentary just keeps winning incredible international accolades. Bonnet de and director Susan Scott risked their lives, placing themselves in incredible danger to document the war on rhino poaching globally. They plan to tell a story so brutal and heartbreaking just to spread one message that rhino poaching must end. Their documentary film called Struip has been shown on screens across the globe and become big in South Africa news agencies after winning incredible international awards. And they have joined me, Bonet has joined me in studio to chat about this incredible documentary. It is amazing to have you on the Good Things Guy jackpot.
1: Well, thank you so much, Brent, and what a lovely intro. Thank you for I, that. I, it's I wrote, lovely to be here. I wrote it myself. Oh, well done. Well done.
0: <laughs> um, it's a little bit easier chatting to you now. Uh, you, mm. you asked me to MC the launch in Johannesburg. And I was a little bit upset with you because you didn't warn me how dramatic and tragic this film is. And just, right. and just we'll get into that now with my listeners. But I emceed it fine in the beginning. And then I watched it. And then we did a Q&A afterwards where I had the puffiest eyes. <laughs> I'd been crying from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, I believe this is one of the most important documentaries mm. ever made.
1: Mm. Well, thank you. I, I remember you were quite. You were quite moved after watching the film. And I think, you know, when people hear it's a documentary and it's a documentary about rhino poaching, they have this certain idea, this perception. It's exactly what I had. But it's not at all what you expect, is it? It's it's not your typical nature film. It really is a roller coaster ride of emotions. You cry, you feel angry, you're depressed, you're inspired, you laugh. I mean, there's even little funny moments in the film. So I think it's a very good balance of emotions that you actually experience when you watch the film. And I think that's why it resonates with people, not only in South Africa, but around the world.
0: So you talk about being moved, and I was moved, and it wasn't just me. The audience was moved. Mm. When we were doing that q and A, I I was looking up at this full cinema, and everybody, you could see this feeling of wanting to get up and, and take arms and just stop right. Rhino poaching. Mm. Did you imagine through this four-year process, and I'm, I'm guessing before it started, where the, the idea stage, did you imagine that it would be as big as it is?
1: Absolutely not. You know what the film has become is actually very different to what we thought it would be. You know, and I think you know we obviously hoped that this film would have an impact. That's that's your goal when you make a film, but I think the the reception of the film internationally and locally. It's just been incredible. Uh, The rhino story, I remember sitting in in the edit suite with with Susan, and many times we would look at each other thinking, you know, this is going to move people, as the scenes moved us when we filmed it. And also internationally, I mean, after the screenings, people would actually get angry with us and say, but why are you talking about South Africa's rhinos? They belong to all of us. It's the world's rhinos. Wow. And I quickly realized that rhinos don't own passports. And, and people want to get involved. They want to help us. You know, It's not a fight we have to fight alone here in South Africa.
0: Where does this come from? So, so you and Susan, um, how did you meet? Mm. How, how did this all start?
1: Right. So I uh, used to present and produce for the local nature and wildlife show 5050 on SABC. And Susan actually produced a story for them on the rhino poaching crisis. And the team told us, okay, tell the story in 12 minutes. That was very difficult because it's such a complicated subject. So how do you do it in 12 minutes? But anyway, so we went to the Kruger National Park and we filmed there and the, the, the rangers took us to a double carcass. And Susan said to me, okay, sit between the two carcasses and do your lines, your link to camera. Tell the viewer what you're feeling, what you're seeing, what you're experiencing. And Brent, it was in that moment, I was just overwhelmed with so many emotions, so many questions. Uh, How can humanity be so absolutely cruel? And how can we, as South Africans, allow this to happen? And it was in that moment, and I know for Susan it was the same thing, I just knew I I have to do something more. I have to do something bigger and show the extent of the poaching crisis. And uh, that's where the idea for a full-length documentary film was really born. Uh, yeah, that's where the idea was born and and I think we just knew that we need to do an independent film, uh without censorship. So we didn't go the traditional broadcaster route. And what
0: what was the reason for independent? Because that's mm. a that's a that's a big key. That word. was
1: very, very important to us because you know if you go with the traditional broadcaster route, it's it's probably easier in terms of funding. But with it come certain restrictions. So censorship, hidden agendas. We wanted to tell the true Real, raw rhino story. And that is what Struip is. And you feel it. You know it. No, you, I know When that. you watch it, you, you connect with those characters. They take you on this journey. Uh, they take you through the emotions that, they, that they've gone through in, in their journey with rhinos. So that's what we really wanted to do. But again, it wasn't easy because funding is always a problem. And, and, you know, a lot of other challenges, I guess.
0: You speak about um, that, that first moment and, and literally standing at a murder scene
1: mm-hmm.
0: is what you were. Right. I, again, I've seen the documentary. Um, there is no way that you could have told the poaching story in 12 minutes.
1: No way. Now, no that, way.
0: now that I've seen and how deep it gets yeah. and where it goes, yeah. it's, I mean, you start off watching one thing. And by the end, your mind is blown Mm, mm. because of of where rhino horn comes from and then where it goes. Exactly. And the disconnect between the the user. There's no way in 12 minutes that that story could have ever been told.
1: You cannot. I mean, you can touch on the surface. There's a problem. This is what the guys are doing on the ground. This is where the horn goes. But you cannot really. We had to dig deep, really, in order to understand it so that we could tell it in a concise story to the public. So, but it's so complicated, and yes, you, we also realized that when we started filming, we cannot only focus on the source site where rhinos are. We have to go look at the demand. The, the The demand is massive. The very thing our rhinos are being slaughtered for, and that's why we decided to go to Asia and to look at the demand and to really find out why people are using Rhino Horn.
0: During the four year process that you were you were going on this journey and you were collecting all this evidence and Mm. and I I mean when our listeners see the movie they'll see how deep and and the investigation that goes into it. Was there ever a time where you wanted to give up? Where where you were I mean it's it's a Mm. tough subject.
1: It is. It is. No, I don't think I can say there was a time that I ever wanted to give up because at the end of the day, it's about them. It's about rhinos, you know, and what they're going through. It's not about how we feel, the emotions we're going through, uh, because it was difficult. You know, we went to so many crime scenes. We saw so many carcasses, and it never gets any easier. And the most difficult thing is to witness what humanity is capable of. It's, It's pure evil and human greed. But, you know, Brent, what you do, Well, this is what I did, you know, you you step away from yourself, from the ego, from the selfishness that's within us all, and you realize that it's not about how I feel in that moment. I can't distract from the real issue at hand. It's about them. It's about the rhinos. And then it sort of becomes easier to deal with those heartbreaking scenes.
0: What was the hardest thing in in the four years? And I know there's there's so many different moments. Um, You... Completely going undercover in Asia, yeah. where your life was at risk. Yeah, I mean that. That for me, watching it was, I was on the edge of my
1: seat. Yeah, that was that was very scary. And I think when we landed back in South Africa, we were like, oh my goodness, what did we actually do? You know, but you don't think about those risks because when you're there. All you want to do is you want to show the demand on camera. You want to, you want to get that shot of the product so you can show the world really what's going on. Because yes, we see images on, on social media. We read about it in the newspaper. We hear about it on the news, but to actually physically see it, that's a different story. So we applied for a film, filming permit in 2015. We're still waiting for it, (laughs) but that never, that never arrived. And, um, so we realized, okay, well, To capture the illegal side of things on camera, we're going to have to become illegal ourselves, and that's exactly what we did. So we slipped into Laos as backpackers, and then we made our way into Hanoi and then Hong Kong, because, you know, it's a communist country. So all forms of media are controlled by the Communist Party. It's also, for example, on Sans Frontier's Freedom freedom of the Press index list. It's ranked, Vietnam is ranked 175th out of 180 countries in terms of freedom of the press. So it's also one of the biggest jails in terms of journalism. So it came with, with great risk, but... We knew we had to do it, and we filmed uh, with undercover cameras, with buttonhole cameras, key cameras. Susan even strapped a GoPro on my body. You saw that uh, You, you, saw you that see scene. it happening. So you yeah. see
0: the scene where she's literally putting it on literally and you're getting ready to go.
1: taping it on me. And uh, then we we meet those uh, Vietnamese and Chinese illegal wildlife smugglers face-to-face um, showing us product. What we actually did, uh, we told them the story that's, I'm an actress from Holland, and they starstruck, so they believe it. A lot of selfies uh, were taken, so maybe my face is all over. I hope not. Yeah, maybe well, no, no, now, they know, now they know who you <laughs> yeah. are. Interpol will be looking for me now. But um, so that's the story we told them, and, and Susan was sort of my agent. And I had to wear natural products. So I borrowed uh, elephant ivory bangles, uh, buffalo horn bangles rings, I had a fake Rolex because I had to look the part mm. and, you know, that I can afford it because it's the, the most expensive commodity on earth today, Reinerhorn. So we went in there telling the story and they, they they bought it. And I think also because we're two women, they didn't feel so intimidated by us. And yes, we got to see this product uh, in raw form and then worked into to jewelry and libation cups.
0: You do see that in the documentary and it's incredibly heartbreaking. And I mentioned it a, a little bit ago, but the disconnect, mm-hmm. um, between the end user oh, and, yeah. and us here at home. They, it's, it's,
1: there's no connection. Not at all. Not at all. I, you also, we end up doing an interview with a rhino horn user, the cancer patient. And that's where I realized that there's no connection between this product and an animal and definitely not a dead animal. So that's what we're fighting against. There's massive demand, and it's a mindset. It's been used for thousands of years. So how do we change that? And again, I'm not saying we should stop the demand reduction campaigns, but that's long-term. And rhinos in the wild, their time is running out. So we, to- we-, we need to talk short-term and focus on short-term.
0: One of um, the things that has stayed with me, and I actually get goosebumps when I think about it now, but um, before I saw the movie, whenever there was a full moon, as a society, we get mm. quite excited. It's it's a bright night out, nice Instagram photos, mm. you know, new moon, new whatever, because we've been brought up that way. But in the documentary, you learn that um, a full moon is the best time to poach. Right. And every time that, since I've watched the documentary I, that I see a full moon, mm. I actually get sadness all over mm. me. Mm. It, it just overcomes. And it's something that stayed with me since the documentary.
1: The meaning changed completely. And for everyone fighting on the ground, obviously, when it's full moon, it's so bright. The poachers go in, you know, three in a group. They're going into our national parks, private reserves, farms over full moon to go and poach our rhinos. So for many on the, the front line, it they call it blood moon because that's the symbol now. So that's completely changed for so many people.
0: Well, for the viewers, it will, too. How do you, through this process, um, while you're filming, while you're seeing these murders happen Mm -hmm. and you're on the scene, how did you keep your positivity?
1: That wasn't easy because, you know, you're dealing with such a sensitive subject and such a negative subject. But I think for us, certainly for me, it was the people that I met along the way fighting every single day. The vets, the prosecutors.
0: Those prosecutors are phenomenal. Oh,
1: my goodness. They're phenomenal women. We followed three female prosecutors. And, you know, they, on a daily basis, they're in our courts. They're fighting against well-oiled and paid defense teams, doing everything in their power to get these guys behind bars, the poachers. And if I was them, I would probably look over my shoulder every single day. But they have no fear. They don't live in fear. It's incredible. We really resonated with with that. And, you know, the vets and the rhino orphan rehabilitators, the police, the hawks, you the know. The heroes. The heroes. They are really the true heroes fighting every single day. So every time you want to give up or you you not feeling, you know, that positive, you, you become despondent. I always think of the vets, for example, or the, the rangers. When that alarm clock goes off in the morning, they don't think twice. They get up and they go and help an injured rhino, or they go and t- patrol a reserve to to fight against the poachers. So, those things really lifted us up in those moments where we felt Ugh, we're so depressed. It's it's so negative, and and that also gives me hope absolutely.
0: The reception of the movie was um amazing globally. You were opening film festivals, you were winning awards. it was doing great things internationally yeah and then and then you zoom out and you zoom back in to South Africa and there's nothing mm. no no cinemas mm. no i mean we we did the big launch, but you did that by yourself
1: yes, that's exactly. We had the premiere at at new metro in in Johannesburg, but interestingly, yes. The thing is, we 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 had this incredible success internationally. We secured an international television distributor who are working very hard to get strips seen around the world on major broadcast channels. We come back home and the cinema distributors tell us that, well, you know, no one will come to theater to watch a documentary and definitely not one on rhino poaching. But, you know, Brent, we made the decision. We made this for the big screen. We could have said to people, look, you can watch it here on this channel. It's going to be available online. But South Africans want to see the film and they need to see this film.
0: Well, this is the thing. And you, you mentioned big screen. Yeah. It, I mean, to see it on the big screen was where it needed to be. Yeah. Um, the, the, the way that it comes across, the messaging that it leaves you with. Right. It, it it's meant for the yeah. big screen.
1: But I think we've, we've proven them wrong. Look, New Metro came on board and they gave us a great deal. So we basically hire the cinemas privately from them, and then we sell tickets on web tickets and pick and pay, and that's how we sort of deal with the costs involved. But we've had sold-out screenings, Brent, all over the country in all the major cities. In fact, we had to add screenings in certain places like Cape Town, Pretoria, uh, Durban, so I think we've proven them wrong and uh, which is
0: which is great going forward. Absolutely. That absolutely. that'll definitely change something for for these mainstream documentaries or not mainstream documentaries documentaries that should be mainstream.
1: Probably. Probably uh, because maybe next time with the new documentary they will think twice.
0: Um, we, did you ever go to these screenings and sort of sit at the back and see the reaction of the audience? Because with our, with, the, with the launch, it's very different. You've got movie mm. critics, you've got media, mm. you've got mm. friends. Mm. So the reception is, it might be a little bit different. What is it like watching um, The Average Joe, watching your movie?
1: Well, we made a point to actually be at every screening and to do a Q&A. So I would introduce the film, oh, wow. welcome the audience, and then at the end we will do a Q&A. I think it makes it a bit more personal. So it's not about just watching the film and that's where it ends. We we want the conversation. We want to keep the conversation going with the audience as well. But it's, it's quite amazing, you know, when you sit at the back and you see people's reactions. They're either in shock or they're laughing or they're crying. But it's very moving, you know, because we waited four years for that specific moment. And it's very satisfying to see that, you know, this film is powerful. It moves people. And when people... Um, come to us after the screening. They are, it's almost like it reignites their passion for rhinos and, and, and for wildlife in general. They come to us. They say, I want to do something. I'm so inspired. What can I do? And that is, that is actually the goal at the end of the day. We want to create awareness. Yes, but we want people to be, to feel inspired and empowered to do something.
0: I think as South Africans, we get bogged down with a lot of sadness. Um, there's a lot of poverty in the country, and there's a lot, there's a lot of this noise. It, it becomes noise eventually. Um, and, and that's the thing with rhino poaching, is that it's been going on for so long that we see it, and mm. then we don't feel anything for it. Yes, we're sad, um, but we're not putting our hands in our mm. pockets anymore, and it's, it's you know, you, you almost start to get a disconnect. Right. This movie... This documentary, you said it, it reignites something. Mm. Um, You want to pick up your arms and stop. You want, you want, you just want it to stop. Exactly.
1: Yeah. You you want to do something. We also decided we didn't want to give like an action plan at the end of the film. We wanted to leave it open ended. So we're not going to tell you. Okay, number one, this is what you should do. Number two, this is what you can do. I wanted people to think for themselves. And be inspired to say, okay you know what, I'm so angry, or I want to get involved in this, and this is what I will be doing, instead of me telling them what to do. And I think that also really worked out well, because absolutely after every screening, people come to me and they say, you know, I expected something, I expected a a documentary about rhino poaching, it was completely different to what I expected, and this is what I will be doing. And that's, that's fantastic. That's what I want to hear.
0: You spoke about your international, um, distributor, but, uh, when we did the launch, uh, there was a little nugget that got dropped that, that this, this film was being screened at some Asian sort mm. of universities, mm. Mm. underground. Uh, there were people that were just picking up on it and they, they wanted to show their fellow peers why it matters. Exactly. Has that grown?
1: It has. It has. Um, we absolutely thrilled Brent about two weeks ago. It was screened in Hong Kong in a prime time slot on the national broadcaster. Sure. So that is amazing. Uh, that's a massive, massive step forward. It's a demand country. So, for them to screen the film shows me that people also want to end this. You know, we we might feel despondent, but there are great people, activist organizations, people from the public who actually want to stop this. And they want to change that image that's out there, that all Asian people are all the same and they all use rhino horn, which is not not true at all. We met incredible people in Asia. So that's a a big step forward for us, Uh, the global transnational organization uh, i shouldn't really say the name but they contacted us and they screened the film to asian journalists in bangkok at a wildlife trafficking conference that's phenomenal then we have had contact from universities in asia uh, hong kong festivals they want to show the film so it's really getting out there you know yes we want to show the film to the south african public but we also need to show the film to the right people and also, people in power. So, we're talking to the World Bank, wants to screen the film. Uh, the United Nations Environment Programme. We're working with departments, not only in South Africa, but in Africa as a whole. And they're screening it uh, privately behind closed doors. They don't want to make it a, a public announcement about it. And that's fine. You know, it's about seeing this film and hopefully we can change policies and create change for our rhinos, ultimately.
0: thats I mean, that's ultimately what it needs to be. A lot of our listeners do care, and they do want to get involved. Mm. What would they do? How, how would you... You're listening to the show right now. You don't want a call to action, but they want to. What do they do?
1: Mm-hmm. I always tell people, you know, social media, it, it sounds so small, but it's such a, a powerful platform. Share stories about rhinos. Keep the conversation going. You know, we need to keep the rhino story alive in order to keep the animal alive. Uh, our film is available Online from today, actually, from today. I'm very excited to announce <laughs> that. Yes, so it's available now on DVD on Amazon, iTunes, and people can. Go to our website, which is dot filmcom I have to make the announcement. And it's very simple. You can go on there. You can order your DVD. You can click directly from our website to Amazon, to iTunes, and actually buy and download the film. And then spread the message about the film to your friends and to your family. Then at least we get the message around the world. But... As I said, share stories about it, uh, talk about it, you know, on Twitter. You can actually directly communicate with the, the policy makers, the uh, politicians. And I think we have to take our heritage a bit more seriously. It's, you know, elections are around the corner. How many politicians, if any, will stand up for rhinos, let alone our Elephants, pangolins, lions. And I know we're, like you also mentioned earlier, we're overwhelmed by all all the problems in this country. But we shouldn't forget the bigger picture. People from around the world come here to our country. Why? Because of our wildlife. So it's our responsibility to protect and make sure that it's still there for generations to come.
0: I think it's important what you said there about it being election year. Um, We should all, as responsible South Africans, be looking at uh, our politicians' manifestos and seeing what they stand for there's no more frivolous voting because our parents told us which party to vote for we now need to be thinking for ourselves right. and trusting our vote with the correct people that are going to make South Africa better Absolutely. and I think that should be one, a policy that we look for, what are they doing for our wildlife mm-hmm. what is what is the wildlife trade when it comes to um, putting uh, animals on, on airplanes, like there's, there's all these things that we need to look at and Absolutely. it's important
1: I mean illegal wildlife trafficking has transformed into one of the world's largest transnational organized mm. sophisticated criminal activities around the world it's right next to illegal trafficking in drugs arms human beings so the same guys doing that is actually involved in rhino poaching they're using the same techniques the same routes
0: and getting involved with our politicians like are they corrupt in governments absolutely and, and
1: corruption this- the biggest enabler of wildlife trafficking
0: and your documentary explains it all. And I'm excited because today you can click on, I'm going to put the link in the bio of the podcast. You can, you can click on to, to go download it. I need to ask this question and it's the worst question ever in an interview, but I'm going to do it. No, I'm scared because I, I know <laughs> that our listeners want to know. Right. What's next?
1: Okay. Well, you know, I would love to say a holiday, but I don't <laughs> think that's on the cards right now. Um, look, we, we're actually taking the film. We screened it last weekend uh, in Ground Zero, uh, Hood Spray at White River right next to Kruger Park. We're taking the film to communities vital for us. Uh, we're translating the film into Shangaan, into Zulu, and we're taking it to schools. We're working with the Jane Goodall Roots and Shoots program, and we're taking it into schools, into the rural communities. Uh, I think we need community involvement. In my eyes, that's the most important thing that we can do right now for our rhinos. So STRIP is going to carry on for a little while longer, probably the next couple of months, if not the next year. And then we've got two other films um, in the pipeline, very exciting, and a big uh, American entertainment broadcast channel wants to be involved in those two films. So I think maybe funding is not going to be a problem like it was for us now, and yeah, maybe it won't take four years either. Yeah,
0: you're not going to move back in with your parents. <laughs> no, and all no, no, sorts no, no. no. I would
1: like to be moved out and stay, stay <laughs> in my own place, not move back in with my mother for this. So, yes, yeah, very, very exciting things happening.
0: It's been amazing having you on the show. I will continue to support you wherever I can and, and all of the films that you bring out. And obviously, Struip, um, I watched it. It, it notched onto my heart. And I will continue to try and do whatever I can for rhinos and for wildlife in South Africa because of you. You've reignited that within me. And hopefully our listeners, um, guys, I, I can only tell you one thing. Go download it. Um, support it. Get your family around the TV and get them to watch it with you. Uh, it'll change your perspective of what rhino poaching mm-hmm. is. And it might enable you to do something.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It was lovely chatting to you and, and to the listeners. And uh, thank you for the great work that you do. Please keep on doing that as well.
0: Only good things. This is uh the Good Things Guy Jackpot. I'm Brent Linderkew, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy, and you've been listening to Good Things Guy, a jackpot podcast. For more episodes or to subscribe, rate, or review my podcast, go to iTunes, Iona FM, or Google Podcasts. Be kinder than necessary to yourself and each other. Thanks, and only good things.